This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Essay number seven. This is getting towards the end of the Tanya. And we know the seven, all the seventh are beloved. So this is a very, very uh, powerful essay, very profound essay. And um, Alter Rebbe wrote this in relation, page 376. Alter Rebbe wrote this in relation to Tzedakah. It was one of his letters. Apparently, the Alter Rebbe would write every year, he would write an appeal letter. A little different than the appeal letters we get in the mail today. Each letter was a profound uh, insight into tzedakah, into a new understanding of Torah. So this particular letter, the children did not include the beginning and the end of the letter, but we have the beginning and the end of the letter. Alter Rebbe was collecting money. Usually the other letters we, le- we read in the fourth part of the Tanya and the Holy Letters, which many of them were about the tzedakah, included these appeal letters, the, um, here, there, the Alter Rebbe was collecting for Israel, for the Jewish community, for the Hasidic community in Israel. Here, the Alter Rebbe was collecting for the Jews who would come visit, who would come to his town, uh, Liazhna, I think it was, this was when he was still in Liazhna, and um, they would come to visit him, and they didn't have a penny to their name. And the town would have to host them take care of them. The time that they spend with Alter Rebbe, they have to feed them, they have to house them and feed them, and it was a huge undertaking. There were hundreds and thousands of Jews that had to be fed. They didn't have a penny to their name, you know, so those who could afford well, could pay their own way, pay the local inn and bring their own food and buy food in the marketplace, but many Jews was too impoverished. And they came and they relied and the community just to help them and support them, feed them and house them and take care of them while they were there. The Alter Rebbe, and it was a huge undertaking, and uh, the need was greater than the uh, capacity. The Alter Rebbe is writing this letter to appeal to his Hasidim. Don't forget, his Hasidim were impoverished and poor. This is Eastern Europe. Uh, Jews live, lived in the miserable, miserable uh, circumstances. You know, so... And Alter Rebbe already taxed them to the maximum. He's already, every year he's schlepping out of them and he's pulling out of them and to, help, to help the Jews in Israel. And here he's appealing to them once again. You know, how can you squeeze a lemon? There's nothing left to squeeze. And Alter Rebbe is, is again appealing to them. And he writes very strongly and very powerfully the importance of tzedakah and the power of tzedakah. If you would realize the power of tzedakah, you would push yourself and squeeze yourself and come up with uh, some money to help support uh, these Jews. So, 
they only included the letters where they only included the content, the, the innovation with the point that Alter Rebbe is making. That's why they didn't write the beginning and the end of the letter. That's not relevant for the Tanya. It's just historical. Alter Rebbe was collecting this year for this cause, for this and this. But, but the, the innovation and the content and the insight and Alter Rebbe shed new light and helping us understand the power of tzedakah. It's amazing that each year Alter Rebbe came up with a new innovation. And the Alter Rebbe, to the Alter Rebbe, Tzedakah was the ultimate. And he practiced what he preached. When he himself got married, he took his substantial nadin, because he married the daughter of the wealthiest person in, in, in Vitebsk. And he, uh, he took his personal nadin and distributed it to, the, to help Jews settle down in the farmland so they should have a clean living. So the Alter Rebbe himself was uh, practiced what he preached. He lived for Tzedakah. This was his life, and it was so important to him, so key and essential in Yiddishkeit, in everything. So, Al-Turebi writes another letter expressing the importance of tzedakah. Tzedakah, as we shall presently appreciate, sensitizes the Jew who practices it so that the super-rational degree of Chachmah in his neshama is able to light up the innermost recesses of his heart. Okay. As mentioned in the introduction to Kuntras Acharon, the Rebbe Shlita observes that this is one of the several essays that would appear to belong more logically in a Gerard HaKodesh. The Rebbe Shlita also notes that the subjects discussed in this essay are elaborated upon in the Kute Torah, beginning of Parshas Reya, and in the Maimar, beginning Amar Rab Yehoshua Ben Levi, the Cholyom, which the previous Rebbe delivered in 5688, 1928. Okay. Okay. So this letter is based on a verse written in Amos at the end of chapter 5. It is written in charity like a mighty river from Amos end of chapter 5. The verse begins by saying that justice should become manifest like water that gushes into revelation from the hidden depths of the earth. It goes on to say that tzedakah, charity, should likewise reveal and maintain its intensity like the surging current of a mighty river. Nachal Eson. So Eson here means a mighty river. So tzedakah should be like a, as intense as the surging current of a mighty river. Okay, that's a very poetic, uh, you know, the simple meaning, the poetic way of expressing that uh, tzedakah should be strong and intense. But here, Alter Rebbe is going to explain this in a much, much deeper, deeper level, what this means spiritually. The meaning in spiritual terms is that the tzedakah resembles a mighty river which issues from the state of Eitan. River suggests a downward flow, in this case emanating from Hochma, which is termed Eitan. For this word, it is known the three meanings of vigor, toughness, and antiquity. All three meanings relate to the soul's element of Hochma and are reflected in the trite from the letter U. You have the roof down, and then you have on the bottom, like the, so it's like three parts. Commonly representing Hochma, which comprises the basic point of the letter and its upper and lower tips. 
the level of Eitan, Hochma, flows down the intellectually expansive river called Dinah. So he says, Eisan literally means, actually three meanings of the word Eisan in Hebrew. Eisan could mean, in, in Yiddish you say it's hard, stark, it's vigorous, it's like powerful, strong. Stark, hard, it's hard, it's like solid, hard. And alt, it's old. Ancient, it's old. And he says these three definitions represent the three parts of the Yud. So this refers to Chachma. Chachma, if you remember, as we discussed in the Tanya earlier, starting with the beginning, chapter 3, the first part. Chachma is a different type, uh, level of awareness. It's not the usual conscious level of awareness. That's, that's usually Bina. Bina is the logical, analytical, verbal understanding. And that's the world that we live in. Our whole universe is created with words. Shem created the world with words. Our whole universe comprises of words. Words, concepts, definitions, numbers. So our whole world, our whole conscious world, our whole construct, our whole existence is within the world of Bina. Chachma is a window to the soul. It's, a, it's, a, it's more intuitive. It's more a felt sense. It, it's touching a place that's really beyond words. It's a communication that comes directly from the soul. Like the Eureka moment. You have a... It's like an I am that comes suddenly. A revelation. A flash of lightning. A bolt of lightning. Suddenly it pops into your head. Oh, wow. Creative, brilliant, genius concept which I had no clue of before. And I was stuck. And I was confused and confounded. And I, there was no way out. And I was checkmated. And I'm frustrated. And I don't see a way out. And all of a sudden, an opening, an insight, a new way of understanding. One that challenges my whole underlying assumption and changes everything and shifts everything around. It's not something you can figure out logically in a million years. It, it's, it's a revelation, it's an insight, it's, it's something that just pops into your head from your subconscious. It's more like a sense of feeling. And when you feel and you have this revelation, it's very deeply satisfying. And you almost feel as if you've always known it. It's so simple. <laughs> The solution is so simple and so profound and so real that, oh, obviously, it, it feels like so obvious. How, how could I not have seen it? it? It's Once the solution presents itself, it's so wondrous and it's so profound and it incorporates and includes everything and it just... This is emes. It has this feeling of emes. That's the nature of chachma. 
when you hear logic, there's a lot of specious logic. You can hear logic and a lot of it could be full of nonsense. People can prattle for hours about communism and socialism and it sounds brilliant and it sounds wonderful. There's one little problem. It doesn't work in the real world. <laughs> it deprives a person of individuality. It deprives, it deprives you of ownership. There's many things that are completely bogus, lies, life-threatening. Uh, it's, it's completely... It doesn't work in the real world. Whoever was tried, case, former Soviet Union or former China, Venezuela, <laughs> Cuba, Argentina, wherever you go, down the line. Shocking that so many young people want to go back to it. But so there's things that sound very good logically on paper. It sounds wonderful, brilliant, logical, but it's it's not endless. It's not real. It's it's, it's ridiculous. It's distortion. Chachma, the nature of chachma is chachma is personal. It's experiential. It can't lie. It doesn't lie. You know, like your body doesn't lie. <laughs> It, it, it's when you hear Chachme, oh, you, like you jump up, yes. When you hear something that's real, something that's genuine, that's, that's a breakthrough, it's brilliant, it's creative, it's endless. Like with every fiber of your being and every bone in your body, you jump up and you say, yes. You feel it physically almost, you almost respond physically. It's, it's, all, con- it's all inclusive, it, it's all containing every part of you. It's not just compartmentalized. It's not just a detail. It's coming from a very deep place inside of you. It's coming from your subconscious. It engages your body. It engages your heart. It engages your mind. Something stirs inside of you. Something shifts inside of you. Something very real happens. Intellect could be delusional. I think that it makes sense. I think it's brilliant. I think it's, it's logical. If you have any doubts, I'll be the first one to tell you how brilliant it is. But, but it's, it's completely delusional. Chachma doesn't lie. Your body doesn't lie. When something stirs inside of you, when you respond, because bina, bina, your ego is involved. I understand. I am brilliant. I am the observer. I am objective. I am figuring it out. So wherever there's ego, it's not genuine. It's not real. It's not authentic. It's limited. Chachma is the exact opposite. Chachma is you remove your ego. You get out of the way. The creative genius asks a lot of questions. The underlying assumption of the creative person is, I don't know. The underlying assumption of Bina, of the logician, is, I know. I'm brilliant. I'm the master. I'm, I'll figure it out. The underlying assumption of the creative genius is, I don't know. I'm open. You can't fill a full cup. You can only fill an empty cup. When a person empties himself, when the ego, the moment when you become completely confused and confounded and frustrated and, and, and you're lost and you're checkmated, when your ego is totally out of the way, when you're crushed, <laughs> you plow the field, there isn't a, uh, anything left, you're totally broken. When your ego is totally silenced and removed, 
can't figure this out. I don't know what this is. I can't, I don't understand. Nothing makes sense. That's the moment that you become receptive. That's the moment that you become a vehicle and a vessel for this new stunning revelation. This communique from, from your subconscious, from the innermost part of your soul that you're completely clueless, clueless about. You don't even know that it exists. And suddenly you get this answer. Where did this answer come from? It didn't come from thin air. It comes from within me. Something popped into my head. Where did it pop in? It didn't pop in from outside. It popped in from within. But a part within me, I don't even know it exists. It's so deep and it's so profound and so beyond my regular level of consciousness and human comprehension. And suddenly this idea pops into my head. And you experience it as a stunning revelation. The darker, the darker the place that you were before, the more confused and confounded, the more egoless you were, <laughs> the more stunning is the revelation, the more revolutionary, the deeper the insight, the more profound and more powerful. And you feel it didn't come from you. It just, just suddenly something stirs up. Like he describes here, the... The river which comes up from the hidden depth of the earth, like the wellspring that comes from the depth of the earth, and suddenly the water bubbles up from the concealment of the earth. And this level of knowledge, it's a level of knowledge that in some place, in some level, you've always known this. It's such a deep truth that when it's revealed to you, you feel like, I've always known this. This is real. This is endless. It's so real and so true. It can't be any other way. This is it. But it's something that has to come on its own. You can't force it. You can't capture it. You can't force it. You have to approach it with humility. That's the quality of Chachma, humility. You have to get out of the way. Remove yourself. Listen to what your, your neshama has to say. Listen to what your subconscious wants to say. Don't force it. Don't straightjacket it. Don't try to put words. Because whatever words you are going to form, formulate, this is artificial. It's not real. It's external. To get new language, to get a new direction, this is something that has to come from deep inside. And it, it's a new language. You'll discover new words. A new direction. And it'll take you to a place that you could never dream of in a million years. You can never figure out in a million years. The answer, when it's emis, when it's the type of answer where something stirs inside of you, deep down inside of you, and you can even feel it physically, this answer has the ring of truth to it. And therefore, it's very satisfying. Even though nothing changes externally, something is bothering you. Something is nagging you. And suddenly, something stirs from within, and everything shifts, everything changes. And you're able to move forward. Maybe you were stuck for years, for decades. You've been going to the psychotherapist for decades with no, with no progress. His bank account is swelling, but, <laughs> but you're not making any progress, any change. <laughs> he can give you brilliant advice, and you know why you're stuck. 
because what your mother did to you when you were three years old, or well, that's fine. You may know the reason, but it doesn't help you, so, okay, now I'm brilliant and I'm logical and I figured it out, but so what? It doesn't change anything. Nothing changes. Because it's all external, it's all superficial. It's all on the surface level, on the ego level. If you want to get to real change, real change only happens when you go beyond the ego, beneath the ego, on the level of the subconscious, which is all-encompassing and it's not limited just to conceptually, it's also physical, it's, it's all-encompassing and all-inclusive. It's physical, it's emotional, it's, it's, it's mental, it's psychological, it's spiritual. And this is what you experience in Chach. It's an experience. Now it's very frustrating because you can't force it. You can't grab onto it. You have to let go. And our ego doesn't let, us, doesn't let us let go. Because the ego is relentless. I, I, I. I am thinking. I am brilliant. I am figuring it out. It never ends. So even the greatest intellectual, you can't shut off your ego. You just can't stop. On the contrary, the greater the intellectual, the more egotistical. The ego becomes even more prominent. Look how brilliant I am. I'm a real, this is a real ego, real I. Precious eye. Chachma is the ability to let go. Most people can't let go. They can't stop for a moment. The mastery of Chachma is the mastery of letting your ego go. Forget about yourself for a second. Stop thinking about yourself for a half a second. Just stop. Step back. Take a step back. Get lost in the background. Just listen. Listen. Listen to what your neshama wants to tell you. Don't try to figure it out. You'll never figure it out in a million years. Get out of the way. Your subconscious wants to tell you something totally new. You, would never, you can never figure it out. Don't try to be such a wise guy. Don't try to be the master in control. Let go. Let go of your control. Let go of your ego. Let go of yourself. Create a space, an empty space. Allow your neshama to speak in its own language. This is the language of Asan. This is the language of the neshama. The language of the neshama are those values, those core values, those Yiddishkeit, core values of Yiddishkeit, of godliness, of truth, which never changes and is vigorous and vibrant and powerful. And is strong and is ancient, never changes its core, its essential. But these values come through loud and clear and powerful. You experience it, you feel that faith, you sense that faith. It becomes a living, breathing truth in reality, it becomes crystal clear to you. You don't just know it, you, you feel it, you experience it. You're not just mouthing the words. You're not just saying it. You're living it. And then it's at every level. You feel it physically, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, spiritually. It's endless. It's real. Every part of you, every angle, it's not compartmentalized. It's the totality of your being. This is the level of Chach. 
Most people never access it. Most people don't even know it exists. We're so busy with our egos, we can go through our entire life never once letting go, never once creating that space to allow the Chachma to emerge and to bubble to the surface. You have to approach it very gently. You can't force it. And you have to be patient. (laughs) And you have to listen. You have to be open. You have to be humble. You have to be egoless. All those wonderful qualities. (laughs) It's frustrating. It's difficult. Because our ego just can't can't be still, can't be quiet. It's counterintuitive. To reach this level of Chachm is counterintuitive. You know, we live in a world where there's so much, so much talk, but very little light, very little illumination. The talk just covers up and clouds and <laughs> confuses and distorts. The challenges to speak and to communicate and to find words but find words that clarify, words that resonate, words that are genuine, words that are powerful, words that are inspiring, words that are real or genuine. The problem is that for most of us there's a total disconnect between the Chachma and the Bina, the world of words and the world of Emes. It's two different universes, and the twain never meet. Not me. So we have this excess verb, verbiage, but it doesn't do anything for us. It doesn't inspire. Nothing changes. Nothing shifts. We're not wiser. We're not better. If anything, we're angrier, nastier more arrogant, more egotistical, as a result of all this verbiage, excessive verbiage. And then you have the experience of Chachma. Now Chachma and Bina, by nature, one does not flow from the other. You can have a person who's creative, but he doesn't appreciate his creative genius. He can't bring it into words. He can't articulate his genius. Who discovered America? Columbus. Who's America named after? Mariego. Columbus died in jail. The McDonald brothers died paupers. They had an ingenious idea and they sold it for pennies and and someone became a billionaire. Not them. The person who is a genius, who is creative, doesn't necessarily have the analytical tools to appreciate his brilliance or what he has accomplished or what he has created. On the other hand, you have a person who is brilliant and analytical and logical. He doesn't have a creative bone in his body. But he hears another person's idea. He can take that idea and structure it and engineer it and go to town with it and become very successful. So the two, one doesn't follow the other. 
It's not like the intellect and emotions. The emotions follow the intellect. The intellect gives birth to emotions. When you understand something, and you understand something very well, you get very excited. So first, it's, it's, a, it's an intellectual excitement. I'm excited. The idea is so exciting. The understanding of it comes so alive to you that you get excited. You, you live with the idea. You love the idea. So it's still an intellectual excitement. It's impersonal. I'm not getting excited, not me personally, but I'm excited about the idea. It's so alive for me. And then that gives birth to the next step, the emotions, where the excitement becomes personal. Hey, this is good for me. I like this. I should do this. So you personalize it. So, but the intellect inherently gives birth to emotions. It's like the mother contains the child, is pregnant with the child. So intellect brings with it. When you understand something, you understand something well, it comes alive for you. You get excited. When a person understands something well, you feel excited. But it's more an intellectual excitement. But still, you're excited. And which leads you to, this gives birth to the child that comes out of the mother's womb. It leaves the world of intellect. And now it becomes a full-fledged emotion. I love it. I love it means I love it. It's good for me. You personalize it. I want this personally. But it's a logical sequence. Intellect leads to emotion. Emotions leads to thought. You think about things that you love. Thought leads to speech. Speech leads to action. But wisdom and understanding don't necessarily, one doesn't follow the other. You can have a person who's wise, but he doesn't have a logical bone in his body. He's completely wise, brilliant, creative, but he, he can't engineer it, he can't figure it out, he can't articulate it, he can't implement it. And you have a person who's very brilliant and analytical and logical and doesn't have a creative bone in his body. So it's like two different worlds, two different universes. Chachma represents egolessness and Bina is the epitome of ego. I understand. I am the master. I'm in control. I'll figure it out. I'll engineer it, analyze it and break it down and I'll be able to articulate it. It's all words. But that person can get beyond words. He can go through his whole life brilliantly analytical, but he can never get beyond words. can never reach the deeper place, the place of egolessness, the place that's beyond words, the, to touch and access the subconscious, to open himself up, create that empty space to allow that communique, communication from the subconscious to take him in a whole new direction, new insight. It's a different tool. It's almost like a lost art today. People lost the art of being silent. People lost the art of listening. We need constant distractions, constant entertainment, constant distractions, constant noise. And we need louder. The noise gets louder and louder. We, we lost the ability just to be, and to be silent. And to forget about your ego for a moment. Forget about yourself for a moment. And it's not easy. It's almost like a talent. It's counterintuitive. It's, a, it's an ability that you have to develop. The ability to silence yourself. The ability to remove yourself. The ability to open yourself up. The ability to listen and be patient and be humble. And listen to what the Yenishama says. Don't force it. And you can tell the difference. 
Because when you're forcing it, you come up with brilliant words, but it's empty. The words don't touch you. The words don't, don't do anything for you. So now I know this reason, I know that reason, I know the other reason. It's meaningless. It's superficial. It's external. It doesn't do anything for you. Nothing shifts. Nothing changes. You remain the same peradim you were before. Nothing changes. Chachma is that ability. That very profound ability. Very deep ability. We have. We have it. That intuition. That. But it's a, a skill and an ability that you have to fine-tune, you have to develop, you have to learn. You have to have a lot of patience. And it gets very frustrating because you've got to remove yourself. And you have to be open for a revelation that's coming beyond me. I, I don't know what, I, what I'm going to learn, what am I going to discover. But then this revelation gives me new words, a new language. And the goal is that I should merge the two. The goal is not to have these two separate universes, the universe of Chachma, the egolessness of Chachma, and the world of words of Bina, the goal is, is going to say, in the Kabbalistic terms, it's called the point in the chamber. The point is, the goal is to merge the two. To take this point, this level of Chachma, this revelation, this, and to bring it into words. I'm not running away from words. I'm not anti-words. I'm not afraid of words. I'm not afraid of the ego and words. But it becomes a different type of words. Then I have words that truly inspire. It's like poetry. You can say words and they leave you flat, or you can hear words and it moves you and inspires you and it stirs your soul. Words that are on fire, words that are soul-stirring, words that are powerful. So then I combine the two. I have the best of both worlds. You know, they, they tested Einstein's brain. And they discovered, and this is what makes geniuses geniuses, is that he was unique. That most people either are predominantly right brain, which is the creative brain, or predominantly left brain, which is the logical analytical brain. Two different worlds. With Einstein, those two brains were completely fused. He was, they were seamless. That's why, that's why he was Einstein. <laughs> the ability to go beyond words, he was able to challenge the underlying assumptions, everything that everyone took for granted, and yet, and yet to bring it into words. It's like seeing and hearing at the same time. It's it's two different qualities. Seeing is experiencing. Seeing is seeing the whole picture. It's verbless. It's it's wordless. You see. Versus hearing. Hearing is very structured. Word by word. There's a beginning word. There's a middle word. There's an ending word. It's logical. It's sequential. It's one step at a time. If you miss one word, I miss the whole chain, the whole connection, the whole link. I'm lost. Two different talents. But the ability to merge those two parts, seeing and hearing, the point 
in the chamber to bring that experiential that level of egolessness that experience is beyond words but not just to meditate and go off into a world with it that's beyond words and that's not the point that, then you'd, all you have is the point but what happened to the palace what happened to the whole world of consciousness? What happened to the whole world, world of words? If I only have the palace, I only have the brilliance and the, and the analysis and the words, I'm missing the point. I don't have the emmas. I don't have that depth, that egolessness, that experientialness, that truth. It's superficial. It's external. I'm getting nowhere. I'm not accessing anything real or genuine. It's all superficial. As brilliant as it may be, it's words. Words are just the surface. They're not touching or accessing the inner depth. The the goal is to merge the two. The point in the palace, they become inseparable. And that's like a whole brain knowing, knowing with the whole brain, with the right brain and the left brain, it's truly all-inclusive. When you can articulate the inarticulate. When you can express the faith, the deepest levels of faith, and express it in words. You see it so clearly, but you can articulate it and express it in the world of words. This is rare. This is unique. But this is the challenge. This is the ultimate. This is what it's all about. That's why the Torah, the Torah is all comprised of words. God gave us the Torah with words. But it's different. God created the world with words. But it's different. The creation, God creates the world with words. Creation is ten words. God created the world with ten words. What are ten words? Even when we speak ten words, what are ten words? It's nothing. It's a meaningless event. Imagine Tashem speaking ten words. The whole universe, Tashem, is a meaningless event. Ten words, completely insignificant. When we speak ten words, it's nothing, unless those words are, will you marry me? (laughs) Those are the words of the Ten Commandments. Those are the words of the Torah. It's different words. Those words are not the same. These are words that touch the core and essence of your being. These are different words. The Torah is words which touch the core and essence of existence, touch the core and essence of our being because Hashem is conveying His essence. Versus when Hashem is creating the world, it's ten words, it's, it's nothing. But the Ten Commandments and the words of the Torah, the language of the Torah, this is not the language of creation. This is the language of the Torah. This is divine language. This is Hashem asking us, will you marry me? It's different. These are words. This is the point in the palace. It's a point. It's experiential. It's divine. It's godly. It's beyond words. It's, it's, but it's in the palace. It's captured in words. It's captured in our daily life and language. But it's words that sear into our soul. It's words that inspire us. It's words that move us. It's words that shift everything for us, changes us. It's all-encompassing. It's genuine. It's emmas. It's real. So 
words that challenge us, that move us, that shake us to our core, that, those are the words of the Torah. This is what he refers to as a nachal eson. This is a river that flows, eson. Eson is that part of the neshama which is vigorous and hard and strong, powerful and old, ancient. It's real, eternal. It's a part within us that's genuine, that's real. That level of faith within us. But captured in words. The faith has to be brought down into language, into words. Which is what Alter Rebbe did, what Chabad is. Chabad is not just philosophy. It's bringing the ineffable, the undefinable, the infinite, and the undefined, capturing into words. Something that can't be brought into words, to bring that into words, to express it in words. To express the faith. That level of egolessness, but to bring it into the world of ego, into the world of words, the world of consciousness. To merge the subconscious with the conscious. This is the ultimate challenge. How do you merge the subconscious with the conscious? You have the whole subconscious and all its dazzling brilliance and genuineness and depth and all-inclusiveness and bring it into the world of consciousness where you can feel it, experience it, find the words to convey it. And when you do, when you succeed in bringing the level of subconscious to the conscious, you literally jump up. You feel it physically. You feel it in the depth of your heart. You feel it in your mind, in your brain. You feel it in your heart. You feel it in your body. You feel it on every level because it's emes. It's all-encompassing. Every part of you. There's, there's no compartmentalization. It's not just a single level. It's not, this is not um, mysticism per se, meditation per se, spirituality per se, or philosophy per se, or religion per se, or emotions per se, love per se, or physical it's everything. It's all-inclusive. All and you experience it that way. That your whole being just jumps up and something shifts inside. And you feel you can go forward. And you're changing. Something very real is happening and you experience This is the point in the chamber. Is that the level of dust? The higher level of Das. There's the lower level of Das, which is to connect the intellect to the emotion. To move from the excitement of the idea to personalize it, to internalize it. That I am excited. Not just it's a great, exciting idea, it's a great, exciting concept, but I am excited. I love it. I want it. So to internalize it, to make it real, that's the level of, lower level of Das higher level of Das is, yes, to bring the Chachm and the Bina together. A point in the palace. Where you have the merging of the two brains, the right brain and the left brain. It's an all-brain knowing. It's a total knowledge. It's a total knowing that comes from the deepest depth of your being. And at that level, there's no division as he's going to, there's no division between the brain and the heart, as he's going to say. 
on that level, it's something that merges from the depth of your being. So it's, it's, there's no space. It's not just limited to your brain. It's, it's the deepest depth of your heart. It's physical. You feel it. You experience it. You physically jump up. You respond. And it's spontaneous. You respond sp- spontaneous. It's not planned. It's not controlled. It's, 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 you've experienced it as a revelation. It's a startling, surprising revelation that just takes you by surprise and you're just you're just floored literally floored you know when I have a, a, a eureka moment you know, something like you're describing and it floors you and all of that it, it sounds fantastic but yet it's fleeting you know what you're describing is something that isn't fleeting you know, so I really haven't experienced true Hakma, I guess, you know. I mean, I've experienced a eureka moment, but then, you know, you wake up the next morning, you can't even remember that. Very good, very good. So there's different levels of Hakma. Here we're talking about the highest levels of Hakma. So eureka moment is like the lower level of Hakma. And that's why it says in the, in the book of Yitzirah, in the book of formation written by Avram Avinu, first work of Kabbalah, Avram Avinu, that Havein Bechachma, and, and that you should, in, in order for Chachma to be sustainable, you have to have an element of Bina. Like you say, you have a Eureka moment, or you have a dream, and the next morning, it was a wonderful dream, I can't remember a thing, <laughs> because it, it was fleeting, because I don't have words, it, it's just a sense, a feeling, it's, it's floating, I, I, if you don't have words, you have nothing to capture it. So it, it, it disappears. That's why you have to have Havin. You have to include, the Chachma has to have a level of Havin to grab onto it. You have to have something, a handle to hold onto it. Something to remind you of it. You have to have a label, a handle, something that can hold on to this fleeting dream. So that's within Chachma itself. It's not the world of Bina. In Chachma itself, I have to have something of Havin I have to have some verbiage, some words, to just to capture it. Otherwise, it's too ephemeral, it's too, it's too vague and fuzzy. It's just going to... I'm, I'm going to forget. I, I have nothing to hold on to. And then, and then Chachem Bevina. Bevina also has to have, uh, for its own sake, has to have a point. It has to have something to keep you honest, to keep it honest. Otherwise, you can go so off. You can go so far afield from truth. And you can hack in China. And the more brilliant you are, you can create such constructs and such nadishkeit and foolishness and lies and distortion. So to keep you honest, you have to have, the, you have to remember, keep the eye on the ball, you have to remember what the point is and don't, don't go so far away. You get so verbal and you talk so much that you miss the whole point, you forget what it's all about. So you just, you just it's, so you have to have a point of, of, but here he's talking about the highest level of Chach, the level of Esa, the level where the two brains become seamless. We have a total merging of nekuda behechal, the point in the we become like two comrades who are inseparable. Where the two become inseparable, that is a rear level. Yes, it is a rear level. It is a rear quality. It is a rear level. Maybe we've all experienced it occasionally, but uh, most mostly it is ne- it has definitely not been deliberately or consciously. <laughs> Maybe it just happened occasionally, once in a while. You know, 
you, 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 something is bothering you, you forgot something, something is nagging at you, and you just can't remember, and suddenly it hits you, and, and it feels very satisfying. You jump up, oh, that's exactly, and you're satisfied. Why are you satisfied? Nothing changed, and nothing was remedied, but something changed and shifted inside. It's a type of knowledge where your whole being, a knowledge where something comes to the forefront from somewhere deep inside of you, and suddenly it just pops up. Oh, perfect. Exactly. It's exactly what was bothering me. It's exactly what I forgot. And now you're happy. Why are you happy? Nothing changed. You can't do anything about it. But you're happy because that revelation, that experience was so satisfying. It's like a, a total knowledge, but we don't do it deliberately or consciously. It's just something that may have happened spontaneously and uh, you know we just uh, experience it. But it's something that has to be developed we could develop that ability. It's something that has to be honed and fine-tuned and, and uh, it's like an art. But it's a lost art. You know, most people today don't have the zitzflesh. Most people today don't have the peace of mind or the, or the zitzflesh to be able to sit. <laughs> it's like inner work. It, it, it's, it's, you know, not everyone has the capacity or the ability. We need constant distraction, we need constant noise, we need to fill that void, that emptiness. You know, they once took CEOs, they tried an experiment, they took CEOs of the Fortune 500 companies and they took them to a place for three days. No phones, no cell phones, nothing, nothing electronic. I think by the first day, the second day, they were climbing the walls. They were going bananas, bunkers. They were oh going God, nuts. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if it lasted for three days. They, had to, they, they may have to cut it short because it was totally... <laughs> they were lost. Without their toys, without the distraction, without the noise, without the barking and the this and that. There was nobody home. <laughs> nobody home. There was nothing inside. Empty shells. Pustakel. Busy, important, running the world. Nothing inside. There was nobody home. It's a lost art. But it's like anything else. It has to be developed. Something you have to work on. And obviously, it's, it's not easy. <laughs> it's effort. It's tremendous effort. Just to silence your ego just to be quiet, internally quiet. Remove yourself. Which the ego is relentless, doesn't let up for a moment, for a second, a split second, non-stop. And not just to give your ego a vacation. To go off to the mountaintop and to tune, uh, to tune out, to tune in, tune out, to leave the world of words and just to meditate, that's not the answer. That's not satisfying. That's just having the dot. The real challenge, the ultimate challenge. And that's what Yiddishkeit represents. That's what Chabad captures, al Rebbe captures, embody. The challenge is the point in the palace. The level of faith, the deepest depth, the level that's infinite, undefined, experiential, and to capture that into words, bring that into words. It's a different type of words. It's redefining words. It's redefining what consciousness is. 
It's redefining what Bina is. I'm not running away. I'm not escaping. Judaism is not about escapism. Eastern mysticism is escapism. I'm running off. I'm running off the mountaintop. I'm escaping the world. I can't deal with the world of ego, of money, power. I'm tuning in, tuning out. It's a world of escapism. To be the monk and the nun and to run off to the monastery. And Judaism is the exact opposite. Judaism is about, not about escapism, but it's not about surrendering and defining, allowing the world to define us. It's redefining the world. Taking words and it's new words. It's Torah words. Taking life, daily life, and turning it into Torah life. It's redefining. It's taking the point and bringing it into the palace till they become seamless and they merge and they become inseparable. This is what Yiddishkeit is. This is what Chabad is. This is the essence. This is the core. This is the Eisan. This is the faith of the Neshama. This is the deepest depth of the Neshama. This is the ancient, eternal truth of the neshama which is vigorous and vibrant and hard, unyielding, unshakable unmoving, unbending that's why we Jews survive for 3800 years because it's real it's emes it's Asa. it's the rock of Gibraltar it's unmoving, unchanging, unyielding it's powerful vibrant, vigorous, alive and eternal just as fresh, just as real today as it was forever and will be forever. But to experience that. In this state, it is known in Kabbalistic terms as the point in its chamber. This phrase can be referred either as either A, as above, to the seminal point of Hakma being drawn into the broad chamber of Bina, or B, to the essential self-nullification of the soul that derives spontaneously from Hofma, which transcends the loving self-nullification that is consciously produced by the meditation exercised by Bina, being drawn into the inner point of the heart, the chamber, for the issue from Hofma. And as two comrades who are inseparable, the continued existence of the creation depends upon the constant union in that silu of the supernal sphere of Hakma and Bina. The whole world is created with words, which really originate from uh, a Bina. That's, where, that's the level which articulates, and that's the beginning of consciousness, real consciousness, and words, and letters, and understanding that you can grasp, which leads to emotions that you can define which leads to speech with which Hashem creates the world. But in order to create the world, the world is only by the divine energy. So it's only when you merge the Chachm and the Bina that you're able, you have words that are divine, words that are able to create the world. So that the world is defined and limited and is created with words. Words have a definition. But it has that divine capacity, the divine energy to create the world. So that these words, the divine words, should have the divine ability to create, which is infinite. And can only come from the infinite and the undefined part of Hashem. It's only when Chachma and Bina merge. Even though Chachma and Bina appear to be two opposites, like the right brain and the left brain, the egolessness, the creative mind and the analytical mind, which is the world of words and the world that's beyond words. But it's only when the two... Become, come together and are merged and are inseparable 
This is what sustains the world. So they become like two friends that are, cannot part from each other, become inseparable. To be continued. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.